Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Um, as we continue our sermon series, The Message on the Mountain. I don't know if any of you have been digging into the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 to try to get ahead of me. Um, if you are, that's okay. I will say, if you read enough of the Bible, you're going to get ahead of me in most of my sermons, right? Um, I steal everything straight from the Word. Um, it's a lot of fun. Today we're going to be tackling a large section of Matthew chapter 5. Um, and so you're going to have to just stay hooked, look at the person next to you, say, buckle up. I don't think you guys are ready. I don't think you're ready at all. It, it's going to be a lot, but we're gonna, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose this morning. But I think you can handle it. How many know that sometimes our actions get us into trouble? Yeah, one honest, one honest hand right here. All right. The rest of you can go home. Danny and I are going to hang out for a while. Um, our actions get us into trouble. And sometimes what we want to do, especially as parents, when our kids get into trouble, so many times what we try to correct is the action, right? I told you to stop doing that thing. And we try to correct the action. Which, when they're young, you know, it's, it's good. Um, I remember when I was uh, a little guy. I, I don't actually remember this. My parents tell me when I was a little guy. Ruby probably remembers this. And John, our church used to be up on the square in Green Forest. And one day, uh, my mom couldn't find me. And I was headed out towards the middle of the highway there, that main highway, Highway 62, um, how many know she probably told me several times before that, don't play in the street, right? I knew that. I had the knowledge, don't play in the street. How many know it just takes one close encounter with a vehicle, and all of a sudden, things change. It goes from being just some knowledge up here in the head to knowledge down here in the heart. It's a change. Um, what well, we come to find out that like changing yourself is not really about changing your actions. It's more about changing your mind or, or you could say heart. Today, I'm going to say change your mind. I have a specific reason for that. I remember um, I was a, a resident assistant. Um, that's an RA at my dorm in college. That means I was in charge of the floor. I was a student in charge of the floor. And one of my jobs was, thank you so much. One of my jobs was to go through to all the rooms and make sure that the, the men in my dorm, the boys, if you will, a lot of them were still boys, make sure they were cleaning their room. Yeah, insert laughter there, right? Um, and then knock on the door and like, guys, you've got to clean this up. This is a mess. Like, this is nasty. And it was all good until like this one boy 
his room was always a wreck, and I, I couldn't ever get him to clean up food everywhere and all that stuff. And it was, he just wouldn't change until one day he found a rat living in his room with him that he didn't know was there. After that, his room stayed clean, right? Because before then, it was just head knowledge. And no matter how many times I tried to get him to change his actions, all it was was head knowledge. It wasn't heart knowledge. It wasn't deep inside of him. And sometimes as parents, we make the mistake of trying to, to get our kids to change their actions, change their actions. We correct the actions. But what we really need to do is go deeper than that, right? Get down in the meat and potatoes, if it will. Get down deep into the heart of the matter. Change the mind. Mark 1.15, I know I said Matthew chapter 5, but Mark 1.15, and if you've been around this church very long, you've probably heard this, it says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. I'm going to read that again. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Everyone say repent. And if you're like me, I grew up in a church, well, probably most of us grew up in churches, where we have this idea of what repent means. And the way I always thought repent means was that someone gives this really fiery sermon, and at the end of the sermon, they make an invitation, and people come down to the altar, and they begin to weep and cry, and that's repentance. Now, can repentance happen that way? Absolutely. When God moves, do we see that happening a lot? absolutely is that what repentance actually is not necessarily sometimes we confuse a super emotional moment in the altar with actual true repentance so what does the bible say it is to repent and in this verse right here uh, in the greek it's the word metaneo and this is the word we get repent it comes from two other greek words meta and that other one and it literally means to change your thinking to change your mind it means i used to think this way and now i think this way to do a 180 in the way you think and so can that happen when someone comes to the altar and they cry and they weep and they're responding to a fiery message can they change their mind in that moment in the altar? Absolutely. Can they also just come down and cry for a while and then leave and go back to life and keep doing the same thing they always did? Also absolutely. The, the reality is repentance can happen in a quiet moment. In fact, if you're part of our D groups, like this is a big part of what we do is we talk about like, let's talk about the way you're thinking and let's talk about the way you need to stop thinking that way and start thinking differently. Um, let's take a look at this verse again. It says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so this word time right here, there's, in Greek, there's two words for time. One is chronos. I know some of you have heard this before. Chronos is like a timeline. I ever remember studying timelines in social studies when you're in school, right? You have the timeline. This is the way, this is the way time works. This is chronos time. This is the time, like some of you teenagers over here, like, when's he going to be done, right? It's that kind of time that moves along. But this word time isn't that time. This is a, a different word for time. Because this word time has a different thing coming with it. It says the kingdom of God 
is at hand. So something has happened in this time. It says the time that is fulfilled, the time that breaks into a sudden moment where the kingdom of heaven comes close. And so we have is this is time the way we generally look at it, right? It's rocking along in a timeline. But then we have the kingdom of God coming and breaking into our time. And this is this word kairos, and you've heard me preach on it before. In the Hebrew, it's moed, right? It's where this suddenly God breaks in to your time. And the reason this is important, because in Matthew chapter 5, this message from the mountain that Jesus is giving, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Jesus giving his inaugural address. This message he's giving, he's explaining to you what his kingdom looks like. And it says that people's minds were blown when they heard what his kingdom was like. And this morning I would say, God is trying to break into your timeline, not just so you have good feelings, you come to the altar and cry, but God is breaking into your timeline right now this morning, this morning, because he wants to establish his kingdom in your life. Let me say that different. He wants to establish his rule and his reign in your life. God wants to be the master and Lord of your life. We, we say Jesus is Savior and Lord, and people love the thought of Jesus being Savior because he means he saves me. Oh, Jesus saved me. I need your grace and mercy. How many need grace and mercy and forgiveness? Absolutely. But then there's this next part where Jesus says, okay, now I'm also king. I'm also Lord. I'm also the ruler. And will you surrender to that? Because my kingdom is different. That part's a little tougher to swallow. Will we be obedient to his rule and his reign? And how many know if we're going to be obedient to his rule and his reign, we need to know what his rule and his reign sounds like. And what he's calling us to, he's calling to this. He's calling us to repent. If you see this up here, to repent and then do what? Believe. That's what Mark 1.15 says is to repent and then believe. And I don't really... I've never confessed this to any of you before. I don't necessarily like this graphic because this is a circle. And I believe if you repent and believe, it's like a half circle. You should repent and believe and be heading the other direction, right? But we're going to say it's a circle and you're heading off into a new direction after it, right? We repent and believe. And what we're going to see here is we march through this thing in Matthew chapter 5. I'm getting, I'm getting to something here. I thought we were talking about Matthew chapter 5. We are. We're going to see something that's going to look really familiar is what are we repenting from? What is it that we're repenting from? The way we think. See that what in there? What do I need to change my thinking from? From the way Drew thinks. Drew thinks kind of screwed up sometimes. So I need to repent from my thinking. And sometimes we can dig a little deeper into this by asking why do I think that way, right? But I'm just saying, what does Drew think? And does it line up with Christ? And if it doesn't, then how do I know what Christ thinks? How am I know what God thinks? Well, through his word, right? I'm going to repent from what I think, change my thinking from what I think towards what the word says, right? And then I'm going to believe. How do you know I believe something? Yeah, by my actions, by what I do, right? Um, think about like this. Uh, think about the vaccinations, Right now, all across the room, we have very differing opinions about vaccinations in this room this morning, right? Some people believe 
that vaccinations are helpful and they should happen. And you know how I know they believe that? They went and got vaccinated. Some people believe that it's maybe not helpful, it's not proven yet, um, and, and other things about it, like whatever it is, the different various opinions about it, they believe that maybe it's not such a good thing. And how do I know they believe that? Because they won't get vaccinated. Now this morning, I'm not here to tell, talk to you about my opinion on vaccination. Some of you are curious probably. But that's not my message. My message, I will never get up here and talk about stuff like that. My message isn't, now do I have an opinion about it? Absolutely. Am I going to share it with you? No, my message is Jesus Christ. From this platform, right? That, because I know in this room, I'm not going to ruin the message of Jesus Christ about a silly shot. You know, some of you are like, hey, it's not silly. Okay, an important shot. Right? I'm not going to do that. I know what you believe about vaccinations based on what you did. By what you do. Does that make sense? How do I know you believe the words of Christ? Because you do them. Now, sometimes do you struggle as you do them? Absolutely. And that's why you have us for accountability, right? You say, man, this is my plan to walk out the ways and works of Jesus. And sometimes I struggle with it. But part of my plan is to have you guys along. Some men in this room walk with me as I try to walk out the ways and works of Jesus myself, right? Same thing with the ladies in this church. We hold each other accountable as we do this. So as we look at Matthew chapter 5, I want you to see something. Because over and over again, we're going to see this pattern going through Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is going to say, you have heard that it's said. Right? He's going to talk about the way you think or the way the law works. And he's going to say this, but I say, but my word is, I want you to change, I want you to repent, and then I want you to show your belief by doing something different. You guys with me? You ready to track? Okay, so let's see what it says, because some of this stuff is, um, it's heavy. I'm going to start with something easy, anger. How many of you have ever been angry before? Not me ever. If my daughters ever listen to this, they're going to be like, yeah, Friday in the truck. Um, let's read this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. This is what it says. You have heard that it was said. So there we have. Here's the way you think. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. He's quoting Old Testament law here. That's what he's, he's quoting the law. We talked about the law last week. Okay, is it good to not murder? Great. I've, I'm doing good then. All right, let's go home. Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes from this head knowledge, this way of thinking, and what's he going to do? He's going to bring it. He's gonna, but I say he's going to drop it down into your heart. He's going to go deeper down into the heart. This is what he says. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That's not fun. Whoever insults his brother will be allowed to the council. And whoever says, you fool, and you could translate that as idiot or moron. Because that's probably, I don't know if I've ever heard you guys call each other fools. But I think I've heard idiot or moron. And that would be an accurate English translation of that word. 
you will be liable to hell. Wait, what? I thought I was doing good because I didn't murder someone this morning. And Jesus is saying, you drove down the road, someone cut you off in traffic, and you said, you moron. And now you're liable to hell. What? Now we're all kind of chuckling about it, but this is Jesus talking. And he's addressing an attitude of the heart. How many know murder doesn't start with, like you just woke up one day and all of a sudden you just murdered something. You're like, oh my gosh. No, it started with being like, that guy's an idiot. And then it went further and further and further. So this is his. He says, but I say, and so now here's the action. You ready for the action? Here's the action. So if, this is verse 23, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar. Go first, be reconciled to your brother. He says, come to terms quickly. What he's saying here is, here's what you think. Change it to the way I think. And now, here's the action on that. So, like, there's been times where, like, I've been in service before, and I've been in disagreement with someone in our congregation, and I've had to say, like, during the first song, be like, wait a minute, man, I've been fighting with that person. I have to take them outside. It's like, we got to deal with this now. Before I can bring my sacrifice of praise to the Lord, I have to get right between me and you. Like, there's an action to it. Doesn't the scripture say, don't let the sun go down on your wrath? Right? And, and let me be real clear. When we're talking about this, like, not being angry with someone is not the same as agreeing with them. Like, not letting the sun go down your wrath, and that's especially good in marriages, right? To not go to bed angry. It doesn't mean you don't go to bed in agreement. Sometimes you'll go to bed and you'll still disagree. But there's a difference between disagreement and anger are you guys tracking with me this morning what jesus is doing here is he's taking the law and he's going deeper into the heart you can i would recommend uh reading james chapter 4 in your study this week verses 1 through 12 and first corinthians 6 chapter 1 through 11 i'm telling you james and paul these guys directly ripped off the sermon on the mount in these chapters like directly it's flagrant Flagrant plagiarism is what it is. Go read it. That's James chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 6. Talks about these same kinds of things. And then we come to lust. Then we come to lust. Oh, wait, wait. I wanted to read some anger verses. Can I read some anger verses? Sorry. Um, actually, can we go to James chapter 1? Sorry. This is so good. I forgot. I got so excited, I forgot. James chapter 1, if I can find James. I'm so excited, I can't find James. I'm, I'm going to cheat. All right, it's already pulled up on my phone. James chapter 1, we're going to do verse 19. Listen to this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Slow to anger. I'm going to say that again. Let's be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Is this something we can do? Is this a do? Right? 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that's really good for us to hear this morning. We think sometimes if I get angry enough, that person will change. If I make a big enough deal out of this, that other person will change. They'll become more righteous. But what this verse says is that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger will not change them. Only the Holy Spirit will change them. Only the Holy Spirit working in their hearts will change them. Uh, Let's go on and read because this applies, not necessarily to the anger stuff, but to the rest of what I'm saying. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant weakness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive what? Hang on, let's back up a graphic. Receive the word which will be able to save your souls. Receive the word because it's what's going to change you. Well, how do I know I've received the word? Well, let's look at the next verse, verse 22 and 23. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Hang on. That goes back to that, doing his wor- ways and works. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror um, and forgets, right? Um, it's like looking at your face and saying, I've got a booger there on my face and walking away and not doing anything about it. Being a hearer and not a doer. All right. Uh, Let me give you a couple more. Psalms 37 says, Refrain from your anger for the sake of wrath, or forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Proverbs 14, 29, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is haste, has a hasty temper exalts folly. Like, you're going to make a lot of mistakes when you rush into things with anger. How many know that's true? Have you ever experienced that yourself firsthand? Yes. And yet, Ephesians 4.26, I've already quoted this. It says, be angry, but do not sin. So there's permission. We all like to quote this one when we're angry. Well, it says to be angry, but do not sin. Yeah. About half the time I hear someone quote them at, at me, it's, they're already walking in sin a little bit. And it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Proverbs 51 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up. What? Anger. Right? Oh, I love this. Ecclesiastes 79. It says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. So be slow to anger. For anger lodges in the belly of fools. Anger lodges in the belly of fools. And we all know this because we've been angry about something. And we think about it. And we think about it. And we have that fake conversation in our head. And it just lodges itself there. And what the Bible says is when you catch yourself, remember you're being a fool. The reason that anger has lodged itself into you is because you're being a fool. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. You guys can use that one at your D groups later. All right. You're being a fool. What? But Jesus said if you call someone a fool. Some of you guys didn't catch that joke. Okay. Um, You're in danger of the fire of hell. Okay. Lust. Let's talk about lust for a second. Let's go back to this, right? We're going to do the what. What's the way we think? What, what does the word of Jesus say, right? What? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. 
Well, what's adultery? It's having sex with someone you're not married to. That's the definition of adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he took this law, this head knowledge, and he, what's he do? He takes it deeper into the heart. It's not enough just that you didn't have sex with someone you're not married to. It goes deeper that into the heart that you looked at someone with lustful intent. So that's the way I thought. Here's what Jesus says in that word. He wants me to change my thinking. So what action comes out of that? Well, here's the action. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one member than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Like, Jesus ain't messing around here. Now, I think it's fairly obvious that Jesus is being figurative here. To a point. Like, do you know in Scripture, time and time again, it tells us that when we encounter sin, that we should stand? Stand. Stand. When the enemy comes at you, stand, stand, stand. But right here, Jesus is saying, wait, if you're having trouble in this area, you need to get rid of stuff. In fact, if you look at, don't turn there, but in 2 Timothy 2.22 and 1 Corinthians 6.18, it gives this recipe for sexual temptation. Flee! Run! Get out of there! Stand, 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 stand. Except for when it comes to sex. Get, run, go away. And this is something we preach to our teenagers, but I'm going to preach it to our adults today. Right? There's this line. It's called sex with someone you're not married to. We're not supposed to cross it. Right? And the question that we deal with the teenagers is, how close can I get to the line without going over it? That is the wrong question. What's the intent of the scripture? It gets down to the heart saying just lusting after someone you're not married to. That's the heart of the matter. And what we have to do is we have to flee that. Flee that. Can I, can I be real honest with you guys this morning? Like this one right here is the one that I was tempted with this week. It makes you uncomfortable this morning. Wait, pastor was tempted with lust? Yes, pastor was tempted with lust this week. I can gladly stand before you this morning and say, but I resisted the devil and he, he fleed. I, I ran. I remember one time I was on my phone, not this week, but a while back I was on my phone and something popped up. I chunked my phone across the room. It popped up. I was like, ah, I threw it. I'm not going down that road. Did you know the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all areas like we are? Yet with what? without sin. And he didn't have some magical power like, well, I'm God, so it doesn't really tempt me. No, Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted. And if he had some special God card, then the temptation, it's not really a temptation. Could have Jesus have sinned? That's a debate among theologians. Could Jesus, was he capable of sinning? I'm here to tell you, Yes, he absolutely could have. Because if he couldn't have, it wouldn't have been a temptation. 
It's not fair to us. He could have, yet he didn't. He chose not to. He chose to walk in perfection and holiness. He turned away. And guess what? He made a way of escape for us. And so this week, Pastor Drew struggled with the temptation of lust, and yet by the grace of God overcame. And I'm going to tell you this morning, like this one right here is what most men struggle with. I mean, go home. I won't give you them this morning. Go home and look up the statistics on porn usage. It's off the charts. And women aren't exempt, but it's particularly challenging for men. And yet, I know story after story of guy who's been able to, through the grace of God, overcome that temptation. Through the grace of God. Not of her own selves, because, man, we struggle, right? There's nothing good in me, but it was Jesus working in me and through me. And I'm telling you this morning, like, you can do this, but it's going to take you cutting out your eye. Cutting off your hand. Maybe you don't need a smartphone. Maybe you do need more filters on your computer. Maybe, maybe that significant other in your life needs to have the password to all your accounts. Maybe that's what cutting out your eye looks like for you. I don't know. But you need that accountability. What is it? What do you need to get rid of? Like, that's extreme, cutting off your hand, cutting out your eye. Jesus wasn't messing around. He's saying, get rid of the things. Maybe, maybe it's one person you always have a struggle with. Maybe you need to end that friendship. If you're always struggling with lust with that one person, do you think that's accurate, what Jesus is saying here? Because I do, right? I don't know what it is for your specific situation, but that, to me, would be, what I would say. Um, and the same thing, hang on a second. The same thing's true in the next section where Jesus talks about divorce. And this is, I know this is a sensitive topic, right? Divorce is hard. And if you've ever been through divorce, man, I'm, I'm sorry my heart goes out to you because it's one of the most heart-wrenching things to have to go through. The scripture is very clear. The Lord says, I hate divorce, and even if it was a situation where it seemed necessary, it's still hard. It wasn't God's plan for you. And here Jesus is saying, like, you've heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give him a certificate of divorce. Because that's what the law said. The law said, their religion said, if you want to divorce someone, just give them a certificate. But Jesus here, he's saying he takes it deeper. And this is crazy because this is the, the only one of these where Jesus actually doesn't give out an action afterwards. Now, there's other places in Scripture where he gives out action for this. Um, but, but right here, he doesn't give an action, but he does address the attitude of the heart. And do you notice on all of these, what Jesus is doing, he's taking the head knowledge, the law, and he's going deeper into the heart. And we recognize that, but this one on divorce is the only one where people will take this law, this head knowledge of divorce, and they actually make a harder law. Some, some churches will do that, will make it even harder for people who are divorced, instead of addressing the heart of the issue. Well, the context of this whole thing is lust, right? What Jesus is saying here is, you can't just 
be married to a person and see another person you like better and go, hey, here's the divorce. Now I'm married to you and I didn't commit adultery because I never had sex with someone I wasn't married to. I think everyone in this room knows that's messed up, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, you can't just do that. You can't just say, never committed adultery. I've only ever been intimate with someone I'm married to. Because I divorced you, and I married you, and yay, I'm, my hands are clean. And Jesus said, you're not. This whole thing is a heart issue. This goes down into the depths of your heart. But then what is, what is the response to this? And Jesus, like I said, he doesn't give the action plan to this. He doesn't give the so if to this. He says, you have heard, but I say, and I believe Jesus was smart here because there's a lot of situations. Divorce is a messy and complex thing, and every situation is different. Every situation in this room is different. Sometimes the response in Scripture, and there's other places in Scripture addresses this, sometimes the response in Scripture is reconciliation with your spouse. Sometimes in Scripture, it allows for a departure. Sometimes... It says you can remarry, and sometimes it says it's probably better for you to be single. And I'm not going to try to stand up here in front of you today and tell you what your situation should be. That's a conversation we should have one-on-one. There's a reason Jesus didn't speak to this in this area. And where Jesus is silent, we're going to be silent. But just know that what Jesus is doing here, he's not trying to create a greater law in the area of divorce. What he's trying to do is address the heart, is do you have adultery in your heart? Do you have lust in your heart? And you know what? Only you can answer that. From the outside, we can try to help you, but we can only help you as often as you're honest. And in your heart, do you have adultery in your heart? Do you have lust in your heart? And you have to let the Holy Spirit speak in you and to you about your situation. Uh, Where's Jimmy? Can you come back up? Because I'm almost done, actually. I think, anyway. We'll see. This is hard this morning, isn't it? But this is the things Jesus addressed. Oaths. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it's footstool. And he goes on, or by your own head. Like he's saying, don't swear by God. Don't swear by the earth because it's what he made. And don't swear by yourself. And he says this, you can't even control the colors of your hair, right? You can't tell whether your hairs are black or white or if you're Jamie, purple. Like, like you can't control that. Some of you have tried. Like, yes, I can. We know what you're doing. Well, no, but no, I'm just kidding. You can't even control whether your hair turns white or black. So why are you swearing by yourself? I mean, I promise you, I promise you. And what's the so that on this? What is the action on this? Jesus is saying, whatever you say, just do. Like your word should just always be honest. You should never have to say, I swear by God. And we don't do this a lot in our culture today. But can I say, here's the action on this for all of us this morning. Be honest. If you say you're going to do something, do it just do it i'm going to end here 
on this last section, which is verses 38 through 42. And even though this last section, 43 on, is probably in this section, but I'm going to preach on that next week. I don't think you guys can handle that much this week, right? But here's what it says. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which sounds fair. If you wrong me, I should get to wrong you back in the same way. This is, especially if you have kids, you know they really want justice like this. Like, but he, right? But she did this. And they want you to let them do it back to them. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So he's, what's he doing here? He's telling you to change the way you think. Don't resist the person who treats you bad. Now this one's going to mess some of you up. Because before you guys are like, I get it. I shouldn't be angry with people. That would make sense to me. I get it. I shouldn't lust after people I'm not married to. That would make sense to me, right? I get it. I should be honest with all my responses. That makes sense to me. But this one is hard. Because what he's saying here is, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the left also. Like if you hurt me this way, I should turn and let you hurt me this way too. And if anyone should sue you and take your coat, let him have your shirt as well. Like this is actually where we get the phrase, give him the shirt off your back, right? So if that was a thing they did back in that day, if someone sued you, like, you owe me $1,000, Danny. I'm suing you for the $1,000 you owe me, and I'm going to take your coat. That's what they would do, because they wore cloaks a lot in those days. So you get cold at night. I'm going to take your coat as collateral. I'm going to keep it until you pay me my 1000 So you're walking around without a coat, and I'm holding it. And what Jesus says, if Drew comes to you and sues you and says, I want your coat, yeah, you say, okay, I'm going to give you my shirt too. Whoa. And the, I'm, I'm telling you, this one right here, besides maybe the lust one, this one right here is probably the one we struggle with the most. And it's not that people are coming after our coats. How many know we have other coats in our lives that people are coming after? Maybe it's not just physical stuff. And we get so mad. And we get like, this is not just. They should not be allowed to have this. They should not be allowed me to slap me like that or take this from me. And what Jesus is saying, no, actually, you should just give them more. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And this is in their culture, as we've talked about before, the Romans were oppressing them. And a Roman soldier could walk up to you and be like, hey, I want you to carry my gear for a mile. And you had to, according to law. And if you were a Jewish person, you'd probably carry it for a, a mile. And when you got, I mean, you probably counting the steps. And when you got to exactly one mile, what were you probably doing with all that gear? Dropping it. I fulfilled the obligation of the law dropping it, I'm out. And what's Jesus saying? 
you get to that one mile mark and you keep going. Can you imagine being a Roman soldier and this guy's carrying your equipment and you're used to them getting to the one mile mark and just dropping it, right? And all of a sudden this guy keeps, this joker keeps going with you. What are you doing? Going the extra mile. How many of you have ever had people take advantage of you in ways? And what we do is we get angry and we get bitter and we get hurt. And what Jesus is saying, instead, we should be outrageously loving and give them extra of us. This is hard. And Jesus says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who will borrow from you. And then he's going to talk about loving your enemies, which we'll talk about next week. In fact, we'll probably have to back up and talk this a little more next week because this is where it's hard. But can I tell you, like this is what Jesus did. Like this is Jesus himself who serves his disciples, right? He washes their feet. This is Jesus who could have at any moment called angels down from heaven to rescue him from the cross. And what did he do? But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. The cross had shame. And some of us, we don't like people to mistreat us because, man, it's a lack of respect. It, it lacks dignity. They're, they're disrespecting me. They're, 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 this is shameful. And I say, yes, absolutely it is. And our Lord and Savior endured shame so that his life and his message could be proclaimed. I mean, think about that Roman soldier who looked up at Jesus and said, surely this man is the Son of God as he's hanging on the cross. I wonder if maybe he had someone carry his gear an extra mile. And he said, why are you doing this? And he's like, man, I heard this guy, Jesus, the other day. And he was healing people. The blind were seeing, like, like the deaf were hearing. And he started talking. And what he was saying about his kingdom was so upside down. And I realized that even the Romans, you guys aren't the ones that are actually in charge. It's, it's the Lord. And he's letting you guys be in charge. So I'm going to carry your stuff an extra mile. And the conversations they had on the way. Until he gets to the cross and sees Jesus stand, er, hanging there. And seeing everything going on around him. And says, surely this man was the son of God. Like, like surely he was who he said he was. Because he could have raised a revolution. He could have stirred up a crowd. He could have done a lot of things, but instead he endured the cross. I mean, no, he didn't stop there, right? Because he has full victory and full authority. He raises from the dead. And do you know, like, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever shameful thing, whatever thing that, that is so undignified and, and hurts you, and you're like, man, I can't keep giving to them. I can't keep doing this thing 
Can I tell you there's resurrection on the other side? There's resurrection on their side. Our Lord and our Savior was the greatest example of this. Will you stand with me this morning? All of this in Matthew chapter 5 is a shift from our thinking towards the way Christ thinks. It goes beyond a head knowledge of just, well, I'm doing all the rules. I'm doing all the rules. I'm being obedient to all the rules. I'm not murdering. I'm, I'm not having sex outside of marriage. I'm not, I'm not doing all these things. I'm obeying the rules. And Jesus is saying, it's, there's more. It's deeper. Imagine being in a marriage where you just, you keep all the rules, but there's no actual heart connection going on. And that's what was going on in this religion. And then if it's all about the rules, when you break the rules, the relationship is broken. Completely broken. Because it's all about the rules. My dad showed me a, a post this morning as he's leaving the house. And, and the gist of it was, religion says, oh no, I messed up. I hope my dad doesn't catch me. But relationship says, oh no, I messed up. I hope my dad calls me. Because it's hard. There's a story of a worship leader. I'll close with this. A story of a worship leader who is a rock star worship leader at his church. People loved him. He was great. Super talented. And as they were leaving for a vacation, on their way out, he confessed to his wife that he'd been having an affair. The reality was, was that his, his heart was broken and he knew he was wrong and he knew he needed Jesus. And he wanted to change. He wanted to repent. So he confessed it to his wife. And, and Lord knows she was brokenhearted. And so they, they go to these pastors. And they minister to them. But the leadership of that church reached out for help to this other pastor who I heard this story from and said, hey, we have this worship pastor who's been having an affair, but now he's come to us, and he's confessed, and, and they're working on reconciliation and everything. They, they both want reconciliation, and um, we're, we're thinking about sitting him down for a while, putting on him a probationary period and, and sitting him down and punishing him, basically, for having this affair. And this pastor's response, it floored me the first time I heard it. He said, you know, you could do that. That's what churches do a lot. You could punish him. You could sit him down for having done this. Or you could just let him keep ministering. 
Because see, here's the reality. Before, when he was the rock star worship leader, he was living in secret sin, and you guys loved him. He was living in secret sin, and you were like, oh, you're the best. Oh, you're so anointed. We love you so much. But the moment he decides to get honest and transparent and say, guys, I've messed up. I need help. I want to change. Then we sit him down and punish him. The moment he decides to be authentic and repentant, then we sit him down and punish him. And they were talking about, well, maybe we should tell the church what he's done. He's like, and what you're doing is like, it's like you want to take a can of paint, sit in the room, and, and put a firecracker in a piece of dynamite and just let it explode all over, all over everything. Or you could just extend the guy the same grace that God showed you. Now, don't get me wrong. Is there a time when we need to sit people down when they've been walking? Guys, we've had it happen in this church where people have been walking in secret sin and they come out and repent and we walk with them in grace. And there's been other times when people, they confess into us and we try to walk with them in grace, but they don't change. Their actions don't, they keep going down the same path and eventually we have to be like, I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're going to have to sit. And usually they just quit. Because it was all about them. What if we were a church where the grace of God was so real to us, that repentance was so real to us that when people were honest, that we could be gracious to them. Would that be a godly kind of grace? What if, what if your son or daughter came to you and said, hey, I'm struggling with this. Do you just yell at them and scream at them and punish them? Or do you sit down with them and have the conversation even though it breaks your heart? What if your spouse came to you and confessed some things to you? How do you respond that's Christ-like? Like this is what we emphasize in our church. This is the culture I want us to have in our church. That we're people of such grace that we're trying to all of us be people whose lives are more aligned with the word. To change the way Drew thinks and start thinking the way Jesus thinks, which is... Do not resist the one who is evil. That's to not swear falsely. To not lust. To, to not be angry. To, to everything this book says. And walk in grace towards others as they are trying to do the same thing. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? What I love is that we have a Savior who demonstrated this towards us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's His blood that makes us righteous. It's His love that makes us holy. It's not your ability to keep the rules. It's not the situation you find yourself in this morning. It's the love and blood of Jesus that covers our sin. And as I look across this room, I see people who've had such grace extended to them 
and they know that love of the Father. I've seen people in this room have been the one to ex extend that grace to others. And it was hard for you, and it cost you something, and it hurt. But you found the joy of the Lord while you did it. go, I want you to ask yourself one thing as you continue just to close your eyes and think, how do I respond to this message? I would say this, what is the Lord trying to speak to you? What area? It's, it's going to be different for every single one of us. What area is the Lord trying to speak to you and what is His Word saying to you? And here's, here's the next part of that. How do you respond? What does that look like? What are his ways and works that you need to walk in to show that you have repented and now believe? Father God, I thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Your amazing grace that no one in here deserves. And yet each and every one of us have received. God, I pray that this church would have a culture of grace. Lord, that we wouldn't excuse sin, but Father, that we would walk with one another in love and grace to bring one another to the truth of the gospel. And this morning I pray as we leave this place, Lord, whatever truth that you're revealing to each one of us, God, I pray that we'd be obedient to that truth, that we'd repent and change the way we think begin to, to believe your word and walk out your ways and your works. And I thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.